Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Uber Neuro, uh, the podcast designed to inspire and uh, give uh, voice to lots of people with uh, various types of neurodiversity and specifically to my son. Sometimes he listens, sometimes he doesn't, but he was diagnosed with ASD when he was 13 and I really realized that he needed uh, the ability to dip in and out of the lives of older people who have gone through what he's gone through so that he could use them as positive role models. And I have had the privilege and pleasure of speaking to some amazing people um, from all around uh, the UK and the US, and I suspect we'll go further and farther soon. But today, I think, might be the longest distance interview so far. Uh, coming uh, onto the interview all the way from LA is Bill Wong. Bill, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Good morning to you, Bill. It's uh, late afternoon here, but it's morning there. I hope it's a nice sunny LA day. Oh, yeah, always. <laughs> so tell us a bit about you, Bill. Tell us, uh, tell us what you think we should know. Tell us who you are, what you do, and uh, yeah, tell us maybe a bit about your neurodiversity. All right. So my name is Dr. Bill Wong. And the reason why I call myself a doctor is because I have a clinical doctorate degree in occupational therapy. And I have been practicing in the field for almost seven years. Actually, seven, because I got my license seven years ago as an occupational therapist. The state I'm practicing in right now as an occupational therapist is in California. The current setting I work in is in what they call skilled nursing facility, or I think in the UK is what is what I from heard from my friend is called like a step down unit for okay. mostly elderly patients. Yep. And let's see. Currently, I also teach adjunct or part time at Stanbridge University, Los Angeles, for wow. its occupational therapy assistant program. So, and they, they have two campuses, so I teach at the Los Angeles campus. So right now, it's like, this job is pretty close to home, I would say. Amazing. Yeah. So a nice, yeah. easy commute in LA traffic. Oh, yeah, very easy, <laughs> because I live next town to that campus, so I don't have to drive to freeways. Oh, so that let's sounds, see what... Yeah, yeah that sounds great. So, so let's see what else do I say. So uh, I'm also a member of the representative assembly for the American Occupational Therapy Association. And I am one of two California representatives. So a simple spew is like, so like uh, occupational therapy legislature or Senate in the US. So I mean, so what that committee does is that we decide on standards and policies for the occupational therapy profession in the United States. So I'm part of that group as well. Amazing. And let's see, another fact about me, I have done, I, I would say, I need to be careful about using the word done. I have spoken at two TEDx events. Wow. So TEDx Grand Forks in 2015 and TEDx Youth at Alamitos Bay in 2017. And earlier this year, I curated, which means that I org- I'm the mastermind of a TEDx event called TEDx Almanza Park earlier this year. Wow. So, yeah, that's one of the things I do as well. 
Mm, let's see. Uh, another part about me, I like to travel around the world. So I have actually been to UK three times. Wow. Uh, Canada <laughs> three times and Australia a couple times. And I even been to as far as say South Africa and India once. Wow. And most of the time I have done like occupational therapy conferences. So that's why my work has to really put up with my conference that's attendance. Amazing. That, that's an incredible, I mean, you sound very busy. Uh, that's, I mean, that's an incredible amount of work. Multiple TEDx's uh, on the representative assembly for your industry body, uh, a, a doctorate, I mean, and a teacher. Um, amazing. Are you, I, I oh, guess. Oh, yes. Oh yeah, else? so I didn't. I didn't say about the neurodiversity part. You didn't, right? correct? So yes. I didn't. So I better mention it. So the neurodiversity I represent is autism, yep. as I was diagnosed as a 25 year old, and the timing wise is concerned is it was in between my first and second year of occupational therapy school. Right. So yeah, so the timing was definitely was pretty difficult as a whole part. That must have been, I mean, it must have been disruptive, I guess, but also uh, it must, was it, was it a positive moment in your life, that diagnosis, or was it something you had suspicions about and wanted the sort of, sort of clinical confirmation, or was it more disruptive? How did you take it, I guess? Whoa, that's a good question. So I think that's going to be a few minutes for me to answer. Sure. So first, I would say I sort of expected it for the first time when I was struggling in my clinical rotations or in the UK folks, a common word they use is called placements. Yep. So yep. I struggled in my clinical placements. So I was trying to find out what was wrong with me, why I was, why I was struggling with these sure. kind of clinical placements. And then so finding the diagnosis sort of give me the clarity yeah. in terms of why I was struggling. But on the other hand, Actually, I failed a clinical placement that actually mattered to my licensure because in my school, I can only fail the ones that matter once. Right. If I get failed twice, then I got kicked out of the program. Oh, wow. So the timing wise, definitely yeah. it was almost like what the people, Americans would say is like, oh, I was behind the eight ball at that yeah. time. I know what you mean. Yeah. So in a sense, I was relieved, but in a sense, I was like, oh, crap. I was behind the eight ball, you know? Yeah. Because, like, yeah. And then, of course, the sad part is realizing that almost all my classmates, they passed the clinical placements, but sure. I didn't. So, so what yeah, what happened? Did you get support or were you allowed to take it again? Or Oh, yeah. I definitely was allowed to take it again. It just meant that... Best case scenario, I was I probably would get my license to practice occupational therapy a year later than my classmates. Right, right. So, yeah, so you know that kind of feeling, right? It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> like you start with a bunch of classmates, and then you realize like, oh, I can go along with them, finish with yeah. them, that kind of feeling, you know? Yeah, that must have been uh, that must have been challenging, I guess. But but on the other hand, at least you had another. You had another attempt, and obviously you passed. So right, right, right. Well, and, and then yeah. yeah, another timing timing standpoint it was pretty rough too because it was like three days before I began my second year of OT school in the US. 
So therefore, I didn't really have that much time to cope either. Wow. Wow. God, that must yeah, be intense. Yeah, an yeah that was an event. Let's see. Yeah. So I actually, because of the timing, I actually contemplated a leave of absence. Right. Like a few weeks into the second year because I was like, you know, I need to find out as much about myself as I could. But at the same time, it's like, you know, there's a lot of schoolwork and stuff. So to get through it, it wasn't easy. And in terms of the support piece, that's the thing I want to talk about also, because that is also a complicated story. So from a support service standpoint, I was really lucky that my school has support services. So not only in terms of counseling, but also occupational therapy. And the form of occupational therapy that I had was more like outpatient mental health. So that was really good. But on the other hand, I didn't really find an autistic OT until I went on Facebook a year later and a caregiver from the UK, no less, wow. provided me a name of an autistic occupational therapist. I've been practicing in the UK for three years. And we connected a couple, three weeks later, and we, I was able to find out where he was at that point of my journey. And I really found out that it's like, hey, you know what? He was about the same as I was, you know? And then he also told me that, like, hey, you know, since you were so open about your diagnosis, you know, there are lots of opportunities ahead of you. I just, he told me at the time, it's like, he didn't know what exactly, but it was like, I guess he just wanted me to find out. Amazing. So, you, I mean, you, you, because of social media, you found somebody who had a similar experience and a path to you. And that gave, obviously, that must have been really good for your confidence that, you know, you know, you would be able to push through and uh, follow your career, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. I think finding out somebody who was practicing, that was yeah. huge. It's like the autism part is like people want concrete instructions, concrete examples. I was like, well, finding the occupational therapist, that is my concrete example that's like, hey, I can do this. That's amazing. That's, I mean, it never feels, ceases to amaze me how incredibly powerful social media is. And that's a really great example. Without that connection, what do you think might have happened if you wouldn't have had that concrete example? I think I still have thought because sure. I know it's like, you know, actually it's like, the schooling for occupational therapy, it wasn't cheap. And at that time, I think my parents probably invested $100,000 US sure. for my occupational yeah. therapy education. So it definitely did not want to let them down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess you were committed. At that point, you had to go through. But it must have been very comforting to have someone to speak to that had a really similar experience, I guess. I must have been, uh, I guess that's part of the reason I'm setting up this podcast because, you know, I want, I, I think there's lots of people with neurodiversity who need to connect with each other more than ever and realize, you know, they have similar experiences. Oh, yeah. So, speaking of which, on a side note, you know, so I know another friend from the UK. I think she teaches at Plymouth University in the UK. Okay. okay. So, she is a lecturer. 
And she only recently found out that she has autism as well. Oh, wow. So she, so she had to turn to me for advice and stuff because I know for her she, she was more known for on the type of articles she wrote is called dark side of occupation. So in OT we use the word occupation a lot. So occupation in layman terms is more like a meaningful activity. So she was writing like about like the what are the consequences of like overindulging on a meaningful activity, that kind of stuff. Wow. And then when she found out she has the autism diagnosis, <laughs> the first person she contacted was me. It's like, hey, Bill, how do you get through this? You know? Amazing. Uh, it's just incredible. I think, uh, and that must have given her incredible comfort as well. So, you know, you found a concrete example. She's able to ask you for advice. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's an incredible achievement that technology can be thankful for. Oh, yeah. It's definitely changed the ballgame for sure. I mean, for different professions, not just occupational therapy in itself, you know? No, no, for sure. Absolutely. For anyone with ASD or any neurodiversity, I guess, uh, just to be able to speak to other people. I mean, I, my, my son has listened to a few of these episodes. And even though he's a teenager, I know it's definitely helped him realize, mm. uh, you know, it's not it's not him. It's just the way the universe is and his brain works a little differently and that's totally cool. And actually as a parent, Bill, to be honest, what mm. I realize now is <clears throat> I, I don't think there's anything that is actually neurotypical. I think we're all neurodiverse. We all have different abilities and, you know, uh, uh, brain nuances about the way mm. we think and the way we process information. Um, mm. And I think before his diagnosis, I would have probably, drawn a line between neurotypical neurodiverse but actually the more and more people i meet the more and more i i realize that i don't think neurotypical actually exists you know mm. i think it's a bit of a myth um, right what's your experience i mean obviously from from the asd side of the uh, i guess of the line you know would you agree with that or would you say what would you say wow that's a big question from a clinical standpoint, it's like, well, <laughs> I think everybody eventually they're gonna have their own diagnosis, you know. In my own setting, definitely I've seen quite a bit of people with different diagnoses, like yeah. commonly like schizophrenia or let's see what else that bipolar, depression, yeah, uh, even like a few cases like Huntington's disease. There's a lot of different diagnoses that are out there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's an amazing time uh, to, to experience anything uh, medical, but certainly neurological, because of that connectivity uh, it gives to you. And and your life is so rich. Uh, not that that's surprising, but I didn't know any of that. I tend to come on these calls not knowing much about the person because I want to find out about their life. And you're an incredibly busy guy. You haven't just done one TED. <laughs> You've done multiple TEDs. You know, you haven't just, you know, you don't just get involved in the politics of, or in the policies, procedures, and politics of your industry body. You're stepping up and representing, as well as being a teacher, as well as being an occupational therapist. I, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, do, do, you, do you think that, your ASD has given you um, a disadvantage or advantage in your career, in your choice of career, in your ability to work so hard as an advocate and also as an occupational therapist? 
Oh, that's a question. That's another question that's going to spend a few minutes to answer. <laughs> Go for it. So let's see. From a social skill standpoint, definitely I have to work on it because I know there are some patients, as I mentioned earlier, there are some patients with mental illnesses like schizophrenia, bipolar. So those kind of patients, I got to be really careful sure. when I interact with them because at the end of the day, they are behaviorists. And like, uh, if you read about autism, like, people who are autistic, they may have a tendency of not reading social cues very well. Sure. Yeah. And that, in that kind of situation, that can place them in dangers, in a sense, you know? Yes. And, but on the flip side of things, I got to say the flip side of things because I don't want to make it positive as well. So on the other hand, it really gave me the purpose and focus of my career as an occupational therapist. So yeah. I would say it's like for all these travels around the world, almost all the time I would present about autism. So therefore, it's like I know that my work has value and right. I got to share to my colleagues across the world about how I see autism from a first person or what they so-called life experience perspective. Although the funny thing is that I feel that I am more recognized in the occupational therapy community than say in the autism community, so to speak. Yeah, because wow. I know like uh, recently you had someone like Haley invited yes. to be on the podcast. Like yes. people on the autism social media, they talk a lot about her and they talk a lot about like, they talk about all the influencers in the autism community, so to speak. And I was like, hey, why am I not in the conversation? <laughs> and I sort of thought about it. I was like, well, maybe it's because I focus so much on my professional career that the autism side got ignored. <laughs> but at the same time is that for me, because I did so much professionally, so it is very hard for me to actually invest time to attend, say, the autism conferences that people attend, like the Autism Adverse Conference, or I know there's a recent autism conference in France. Like, right. those kind of conferences, I couldn't go because one is that because of my current work setting, so it's actually is, there's no not much incentive for me to go yeah. because, like, so here's the thing about my work setting is that most of my professional development has to be related to what I work in. Yes. And because right now, uh, autism is not a really primary focus in the elderly population. So therefore, it's like, it's very hard for me to justify to my employers like, hey, I want to go to this autism conference just for the sake of it. Right. So it's very hard for me to do that. And therefore, that was why it's like, I think I sort of felt miffed out like, hey, how come they invite people who are more well-known in the community versus me as like, in spite of what I've done, I'm more of an unknown in the autism community. I guess that's, I guess that's reflective of, like you said, I think people are, are known in various communities and obviously uh, your standing in the occupational therapy community is obviously keeping you very busy 
which is a good thing because it means you're good at what you do and you are representing in your career. Uh, but that the, the, the downside, I guess, is that you don't have enough time to be the advocate that perhaps you, you would be uh, for autism, but you're advocating. And I think it's, there are probably two schools of thought and I think they're both right that advocating for autism and advocating in other industries about autism actually are two sides of the same coin. I think what you and Haley do is phenomenal and both of you do it really well. Uh, it just may be that Haley's more visible in the autism community, which means you're more visible in occupational therapy, but the contribution that you're both creating is just amazing. I mean, for you, your career, uh, your presence on TED Talks, curating your own TED Talk, I mean, you know, advocacy is whatever you think it is, you know? So there's, yeah. no, there's no objective standard to which everyone has to measure. You're all doing an amazing job of, uh, you know, getting out and uh, changing people's opinions. You know, I didn't really know much about autism and ASD before my son started to experience what we then realized were behavioral uh, and emotional symptoms associated with it probably from when he was nine on if we look back and you know prior to that my view of autism was probably pretty standard mainstream view of autism you know whatever the media told us so i think you know there's people who i'm incredibly you know i'm just uh blown away by it. people like yourself people like uh Haley, people like uh you know uh sounds like autism um uh, the guys over there uh, people like um uh dan uh the youtuber uh, aspie world i don't know if you know oh yeah him. of course he's amazing you know i mean so you you're an ecosystem and you're all doing a different thing and i think it's just it's mind-blowing actually the change that that ecosystem is having on the rest of the world on 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 people like me who a year ago i wasn't in this universe and now i'm in this universe with my son i'm looking around and all i see all I see, the defining thing that I notice, Bill, is more kindness. I just notice people are more patient with each other. People are more, you know, less quick to judge. And, uh, yeah, just just slightly more kind because I don't know what anybody's experiencing. You know, I don't know, uh, you know, when I'm watching my son have a meltdown, uh, I, I, I don't know what he's experiencing. So I just try and comfort him and remove the problems that are causing him distress. And actually, I think if the world did that for everybody, we'd have a much nicer world. I think, uh, you know. <laughs> what oh, you yeah, think? I definitely agree with that. I think it's like, it's definitely, I think it's like definitely more accepting. I think it's like over yeah. the years I've seen, I've been in the community for nine years. So sort of like, I think at first I was a new kid on the block. I trying to find my <laughs> way around. Now I think like, it's like, I realized like, you know what? Yeah, I got to be more accepting about people's experiences because everybody's just different. Sure. At the same time, it's just like, I think it's also like, like I mentioned Haley, you know, it's like, I think it's like, there are some of us who are on top of our games and our industries. It's so like, well, we should give back to those who are trying to start sure. out sure. in their journeys and the speech. Sure. I agree. I agree. Um, so where are you now? I mean, look, uh, obviously what's next for Dr. Bill Wong? What, what are on your plans for the next couple of years? <laughs> 
You know, actually, funny thing is like, actually, I know a lot of UK friends. They ask about like, what's my yearly CPD plan? Even CPDs, like continuing continuing professional development plan. So I always ask myself, what's my five year plan? What's my ten year plan? What's my twenty plus year plan? And actually, it's like I'm gonna side note a little bit. It's like actually, whenever I come across students for their clinical placements. I would often try to sneak in that kind of questions with them as well. So yeah. it's yeah. great from them, of course, from that me to actually answer that question because I think about that all the time. And the reason I think about all the time is because I am actually very fortunate to have mentors who are very established. And they're, as we talk about the patient piece, they were very patient about my professional development. And I would just only ask them question about like, what I really need to know at this point. So now back to the main topic. So I definitely have my few. One is that I would like to teach full time instead of adjunct. Yeah. Whether is in my university, or I would say not the, the, my university. I should be careful with saying that word. Is like the university I'm at right now, or at another program that is close to home in Los Angeles. So that would be one goal of mine. Another goal of mine is that definitely I know on my resume, I have not done much research about autism. A lot of the quote unquote research is more like the judge, jury, executioner kind of research. <laughs> so what I meant by that is that, well, I still don't know the answer to the research question and what I come up with, read, what I want to read research, but then it's like, how do I translate it back to like a research question and the appropriate procedures about it, you know? So it's sort of like I did it backwards. So yeah. I want to be more traditional. So therefore it's like, at right now I'm actually looking forward to collaborate with a few colleagues of mine in, from Australia. So wow. we are actually going to be looking at autistic elderly adults on wow. how they age in place and that kind of stuff. So I guess age in place is also jargon. So I'm going to face it. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So age in place is aging in place is more like about like how individuals they can have the abilities to age gracefully in their own setting, whether it's at home or uh, elderly home or whatever kind of home it is, and they can participate in the community as much as possible. That's sort of my layman definition on the spot, wow. you know? Wow. So yeah, that's the second goal that I, I have. The third goal that I have, I actually want, the initials F-A-L-T-A to my name. So let me try to backtrack a little bit again because it's another acronym. So F-A-L-T-A is short for Fellow of the American Occupational Therapy Association. So I know quite a bit of my colleagues have gotten that. And that is a recognition of being a top occupational therapist in the US because I know occupational therapy assistants, they have their own letters, so to speak, equivalent, so to speak. So yeah, that's one of the that's five letters I want to my professional initials. I I have no doubt you'll get them, Bill, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I just need nominations. Let's see what else. Mm. 
Let's see. Uh, I definitely want to support, definitely want to support more autistic occupational therapy students in their journeys. I know over the years, I have gotten some referrals from across the globe as well in terms of like advice and stuff. I definitely want to continue to help on that front. I think that's another one. And let's see. My last one. Definitely, I definitely want to do some keynotes, not only in my field in occupational therapy, but also like autism conferences as well. I don't care where it is, whether it's US or the UK or elsewhere in the world. I definitely want to do my share of keynote addresses because like, you know what? Hey, I'm a TEDx speaker. I should be capable of doing that kind of role, you know? For it's sure. just, I guess, I mean, I guess right now, if it's US, I know it's like, I'm definitely compete against the big boys and girls in OT. So I definitely get it, like, if I don't get it, I have to pay my dues in my career, I definitely get it, you know? But in terms of autism conferences, I definitely feel that I'm qualified to do a keynote address for them. Amazing, well, I have, Bill, I have no doubt. I mean, you've achieved an incredible amount so far in, in a relatively short period of time. I think uh, it's just a matter of time. I look forward to speaking to you again, uh, maybe in a, you'll have to let us know when, in a short period of time uh, and addressing you as uh, uh, Dr. Bill Wong, uh, FAOTA. That would be, be a pleasure to address you as that. And I have no doubt it's going to happen. The fact that you've done Ted talks already in, in I've no doubt you're going to be keynoting. So, uh, I just want to thank you so much for sharing today. Uh, I've learned a lot from you, sir, and I'm very grateful. And, uh, I hope everybody else, uh, has enjoyed, uh, this discussion. I think, uh, you're a really, uh, amazing guy. And I'm sure if any other person in anywhere around the world is thinking about a career in, occupational therapy if they have a neurodiversity i'm sure if they find you either on facebook or through any other means i'm sure you'll be happy to uh, share your guidance with them and uh, i'm very grateful for you spending some time with us today uh, I'm, I'm really really grateful bill so thank you for joining us today no problem thank you all right and to everybody else uh thank you so much for listening uh don't forget uh caring is sharing please do spread the word let's try and get bill's message out to as many people as possible uh because somebody somewhere uh possibly a 13 year old kid like my son is sat there thinking you know something's up they don't know what it is it's you know they think it's on them it's their fault it isn't um and uh you know uh, just going to make sure they get to hear these amazing interviews so tune in next week for next week's super Nero, and that's it from me